often. Next week we'll be in our Advent season, and what we're going to do for Advent is cover Isaiah, 9, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, specifically verse 6 and 7, and look at the names of Christ that are given there, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so we're going to invite some of you as families to light the candles and hang the banners. We have that kind of nice and sweet tradition around Christmas time. But because Thanksgiving was so early, usually it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving we start, but it, we still have uh, four Sundays yet before Christmas. So today we're going we're gonna to finish, uh, we, we won't finish, but we'll, we'll conclude, that's the same word as finish, we'll uh, pause in our study in Luke chapter 12 and then pick it back up at the start of the new year. And we, we're kind of at a tough part to pause at, but that's just the way the Lord has directed our, our study. What a, what a fascinating last couple of months we've had in Luke, first in Luke 11 with all of the hostility towards Christ uh, from the religious leaders, and then Luke 12, the instructions and the warnings that Jesus is giving to those who want to be his followers. First thing we got to do is read the section that we're planning on studying together today, and it's going to be tough work, and so I invite you to really stay focused with me as we just even read the section, but then as we walk through it together. Look at verse number 35. This is where we left off. Jesus is continuing, though, this long discussion. Verse 35 saying, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, even as we read this, isn't it weird? The Lord just doesn't answer the question. He tells a parable to answer the question. That's why it makes the text a little tougher for us. But the Lord said, verse 42, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I guess it was almost a year ago now, the day after Christmas, that we woke up to the waterfall in our house. About 5.30 a.m., I hear this noise. I think it's the dog or the cat or something. And then I walk downstairs, and I'm in this deep water in our kitchen. And then same thing in the basement. So from about midnight on, that was the last, through our detective work, that was the last person who used the restroom and caused this major problem to, have, to happen. Of course, it's all behind us now, but 
The point I'm bringing that up for is if I had known that at 12.30 this water would begin running and destroy our kitchen and basement and cause all this headache and problem the day after Christmas, would I have gone to sleep? Of course not. Of course not. This week we've enjoyed Max being home, and in about a month Allie will come home from Guam December 22nd at 6.47 p.m. Uh, she'll be home, and uh, everything at home will be ready. We're going to have a, she wants her room down in the basement. She kind of wants a bed down there and some, you know, she just wants to have a place. And uh, her favorite meals will be prepared. Her, uh, some cookies, of course, will be ready. Everything will be ready for her. Everything will be ready. We're going to spend the next month getting ready because I know the exact date and the exact time when my beloved daughter is returning. I, I, we're counting down the moments just like we did for Max. And so everything will be ready. Luke 12 is, is, I tell those two stories to kind of just get us thinking about being ready, being prepared. That's, that's the point of this section that we just read. And you probably sensed that as we read it. If you were paying attention, you realized that that was the theme. But to backtrack a little bit, Luke 12, as I already mentioned, has been a series of teachings that Jesus is unloading on his people who want to follow him and say, okay, you want to follow me, here are some potential dangers. Here are some potential dangers. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Jesus warns that followers can be deceived by hypocrisy. They can be deceived by hypocrisy. They can be thinking that they're doing all the right things or even knowing that they're pretending to know the Lord. In reality, they don't. They will be exposed. Jesus warns against that, saying that every deed will come into focus and God will judge those things. In chapter 12, verse 4 to 12, he says followers of Jesus can be disabled by fear. You can be deceived by hypocrisy or you can be disabled by fear. Cowarding in the face of those who would question whether Jesus is real and, and, and demanding that you kind of back down. And, and in 12, in those verses I mentioned, verse 4 to 12, it says if you deny Christ in front of others, then he will deny you. Oh, you know, I'm not really a Christian. I just attend that place because my, my, my wife wants me to or my kids want me to or whatever it is. I, I don't really buy into all that because we're fearful of what might be shared. In chapter 12, verse 13, 21, Jesus says we can be derailed by greed. We can be deceived by hypocrisy. We can be disabled by fear. We can be derailed by greed. In other words, our focus is not where it should be on being rich towards God, is what verse number 21 says. Our focus is on achieving and accumulating all kinds of things, and our, and our desire is to just have our security in our goods. And then last week, Jesus warned that we can be distracted by worry. So we can be deceived by hypocrisy, disabled by fear, derailed by greed, and distracted by worry. We become so anxious about the cares of this life, even Jesus boiling it down to food and clothes, but, but instead of trusting him, we're worked up and we're anxious. Now, these are not just minor details that Christians should be thinking about once in a while. These are things that, according to Christ, keep people from a relationship with him. These are things that can, uh, can actually block us from eternal life. You know, you, you kind of think like things like murder, adultery. These are things that keep us from knowing Christ. Hypocrisy, fear, greed, and worry, I mean, these sounds like things that are, that are very minor. But according to Christ, they are dangerous, dangerous sins that we must avoid. So instead of being deceived by hypocrisy, we must live sincerely. 
Instead of being disabled by fear, we must live confidently. Instead of being derailed by greed, we must live generously. And instead of being distracted by worry, we must live with trust and, and believing that Christ will take care of all of our needs. Today's lesson is we can be doomed by unreadiness. We can be doomed by unreadiness. And the antidote for it is preparedness. Either way, whether, whether unreadiness is a word or not, being unprepared is the danger, the threat for the follower of Christ. All these other dangers have been highlighted, and if you ignore them and say that these things are minor and not that big a deal in your life, then you are in danger of being eternally lost. This is the warning that Jesus is giving. And so today it is unpreparedness, and the key verse in our section comes right in the middle of all that we read. It's verse number 40. Jesus kind of introduces it, and then he parable, it does, tells a parable at the end. But in verse 40, he's giving the main instruction. Look at verse 40 if you have your Bibles open. You also must be ready. That's Jesus telling you that. This is the words of Christ to his followers. You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The theme for our lesson today, for our whole worship service, has been the death, resurrection, and coming of Christ. Almost all of our songs thought that. And Lord, haste the day when our face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall uh, resound and the Lord shall descend. When he comes, our glorious king, to take us home. We sang that verse. The, the idea is that the coming of Christ is a certain event that is going to happen at an uncertain time. And so that's why you have to be ready. That's why you have to be ready. We can be ready for Allie because it is a certain event, in, in, as certain as events are, anything could happen. Of course, we understand in the sovereignty of God. But it's a, it's a certain event. The, the time is on the ticket, and it is a certain time. So we know exactly when to be ready. We know when to pull into the airport. It is a certain event. It is a certain time. We know we have five weeks to be ready, and so we have this with the Lord it's a certain event, right? Is the Lord returning? Absolutely. Could be right now. So it's a certain event, but the timing is uncertain. Could be now. Could be 500 years from now. And that is why Jesus says in verse 40, I just summarized his words, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming, certain or uncertain, certain, at a time you don't expect, certain or uncertain. The only thing uncertain about the coming is the what? The time. When? When? We know who is coming. We know why he's coming. Scripture tells us he's coming to take the church, to come in judgment. Dave read from 2 Thessalonians this morning, to right all wrongs of the world. We, we, we just don't know the when. That is the only uncertain part, and that is why we must be ready. And, and throughout the message, I hope I explain what that looks like. The coming of Christ, the return of Christ, is a culmination of all of human history. Every other event in human history is secondary is penultimate to the ultimate culmination when Christ returns. And if we do not invest in this doctrine, by that I just mean believe in it and understand it and think about it often, we ignore it to our own peril. Listen to, we've been reading through our doctrinal statement in our worship service. In about eight more weeks, we'll come to statement number 19, which is the statement that what our church believes in what the world to come is going to be. What do we believe about the world to come? Here's, here's how it begins. It's longer than this, but here's how it begins. We believe that the end of the world is approaching. And at the last day, Christ will descend from heaven. Christ will descend. Certain or uncertain? Certain. It will happen. 
The only thing uncertain is the timing. Now, just a brief summary. This is not meant to be an end times discussion. I just want to talk a little bit about what our church believes. This, this is not something that everyone who comes to grace or, or is a Christian even believes, because there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different theories about exactly what's going to happen in the end times, right? How, how is it all going to work? And, and those are secondary beliefs in our, in our mind as a church. Uh, primary beliefs is you're saved through faith, not of works. You cannot join this church if you believe something different. Uh, you cannot join this church or, or we, wouldn't, we would not even believe that you are a Christian if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. We, we would say that that is a fundamental belief that we would separate on. If someone came in and said, well, I don't really believe that Jesus is God, we'd say, well, then we would say that the Bible says you don't really understand basic fundamental doctrine. But if someone says, you know, I'm a pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, you know, dib-trib, whatever, all those things, we'd say, okay, there, there's a little ambiguity there, and we, we would not separate, we would not say that person is not a Christian. But from our understanding of the Bible, we believe that the second coming of Christ will take place in two distinct parts. That Christ at an uncertain time will return, and the Bible refers to this as the rapture or the snatching away of all Christians, where he will, this is recorded for us in John chapter 14, I believe, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions, and this is before he left the earth, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will, think about it, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. There's no mention of judgment. There's no mention of fire. There's no mention of, of condemnation. It is a, and it is Jesus coming to take away those who are his followers. We could talk about this at length. This is a very basic summary. Then, then what, what our church believes is there's a period of tribulation time on the earth, and then Jesus will come again, this time actually touching ground on the earth. At the first time he returns in the rapture, the Bible says he comes in the air. We will meet him in the air. He is in the clouds. It makes no mention of him coming to the ground, where in Zechariah it says he will actually touch down on the mount. Touchdown sounds like a jet landing, but he will come down, put his feet on the Mount of Olives, and the mountain will actually split in half, almost as if the earth cannot even abide touching God. You know, that's kind of the image. It'll split in half. And then the passage which Dave read in 2 Thessalonians, that's all about the, the vengeance and the recompense and the punishment and the separation. And this is where Jesus destroys those armies, not with a sword, but with the word of his mouth. He might just say, I don't know what he'll say, victory or whatever. His words will conquer all. And then we will all be ushered in to the everlasting kingdom. That's what we believe. If you don't believe in a rapture, if you don't believe, uh, if you believe the church... We can sit and discuss and have all kinds of topics. We would not say, you're not a Christian. You would not say, we're not a Christian. But I'm just explaining to you that that's the perspective that we as a church are coming from. So, we believe that that second coming could happen at any moment. And Jesus tells us that in verse number 40. At a time we do not expect, so we must be ready. I split the passage into two groups. The first group is in verse number, sorry about this, verse number uh, 35 to 40, and then Peter asks a question. That kind of splits the passage, and then Jesus answering the question is the second part of the passage. I'll say this. The first part of the passage is, to me, pretty simple and basic. The second part of the passage, I'm going to do a little head scratching. You talk about being ready. I wish I had three or four more weeks to be ready for the second part of the passage, but just the weeks go on, and Sundays come, and we got to get through it. So I'm going to tell you what I think it means, and I'm open to correction. 
Part number one, verse 35 to 40, what Jesus does is gives four images of readiness. Four images of readiness. And again, the main part of the, of the passage is verse 40. He says, be ready. So he's going to give us four pictures of what that looks like. What that looks like. Image number one is in verse number 35, stay dressed for action. So the picture is of a person who has, old King James term, girded up their loins. Not something you want to say in public company a lot, but girded up their loins. Here's what that means, and you've probably heard this before. In those days, men would not be dressed like I'm dressed today. They would have long flowing garments with a belt around them. So to prepare for any sort of physical activity, you know, I, I've, the, the closest I can see this too is like when, when ladies walk upstairs, you kind of see them pull up the, the, the dress or skirt a little bit because it tends to kind of, maybe, maybe I've just observed that wrongly, ladies, I don't know, I'm not trying to say anything that, that's inappropriate, but, you know, just to be careful coming up steps, you, ladies, you know what I'm talking about, am I talking weird? Okay, whatever. But that's, that's the image I have. But it, it's the idea of pulling up this robe and tucking it around your belt better so maybe it's higher. So now I'm going to box or run or whatever it is they would be doing in those days. And I've girded up my loins. I've, I've prepared myself for action. Okay? Another way we might say it, like when you see people rolling up their sleeves, right? I'm, I'm preparing to do something. I'm going to wash the dishes, or I'm, I, that wouldn't be me, but I'm going to work out in the yard, or I'm going to do something and roll up my sleeves. Now I'm going to get to work. I'm prepared. Jesus uses this term in a tense that is, that is known as the present imperative, which means you should, it's not like uh, in a few weeks, gird up your loins, or, or from time to time, be prepared. It's a, it means be constantly ready. So in other words, you should always have the sleeves rolled up. You should always have the, gird, the loins girded. You should always be prepared. A constant state of readiness. That's why, that's why the, the ESV translates it, stay dressed. Always stay dressed would be a translation we would be comfortable with. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 11 Moses instructed the Israelites to eat the Passover with their loins girded. Because in a minute, we're going to race out of Egypt, and we have to be ready. We have to be ready. Don't be caught unprepared. Since I already kind of said something inappropriate, I'll say something else inappropriate and get in trouble for it later, but that's okay. We were visiting with a missionary once, and we were told to uh, meet him at a certain time. He got the time mixed up. Thankfully, it was just me and another man. He's just getting out of the shower and only had his towel wrapped around him. And, and, he, and he sees us at the door. He goes, woo You know, he's just got a, totally unprepared, right? T caught unprepared, embarrassing, exposed, right? I mean, it's, it's really a perfect image of what Christ is saying here. He could come at any moment. Here we are at the door. Uh, Pedro, are you ready? And woo Caught him unprepared. Caught him unprepared. And that's even what Jesus is going to say later about knocking on the door. Can you imagine? Here Christ coming. And, and can you imagine us? Oh, we weren't ready. We weren't ready. We were caught unprepared. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, stay dressed for action. Image number two is also in verse number 35. Keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning is another image of readiness. When the darkness comes, you don't want to be caught unprepared. An image for us might be, John McMurray tells us a storm is coming. And we might lose power, so what do we do? We get the candles lit. We make sure the batteries have flashlights in. So when the darkness overtakes the evening, we're ready. We're ready. 
The issue, again, is preparedness. Image number three. Image number three is in verse number 36. It's a little longer. The, the first two images are just statements, right? Stay dressed, have your loins girded, keep your lamps burning. And now a third image, be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they can open the door to him. What are the next two words, ESV? Open the door to him at once. At once. They're ready when he comes to knock. These type of feasts, these wedding feasts, it wasn't like an afternoon. Can you imagine, men, sometimes we get those, those wedding invitations in the mail, and it's a fall Saturday, and we, don't, we have so many things we want to do. It's like, oh, you don't really want to go to these things, but okay, it's a couple hours. These feasts could last days, even up to a week, and you may never know when the master is coming home. So what are the servants to be doing? What are the servants to be doing? Are the servants for days upon days, maybe even up to a week, just supposed to be standing there looking down the road? Is that the implication? You know, when, when Leah goes to the grocery store, Maisie goes to the porthole, uh, the little small window by her door, and she just sits there. She doesn't move. She just sits there. Is that what the servants of God, is that what readiness looks like? Are we just supposed to be doing this like, like at some point? That, that's not the idea. The servants, I read this phrase and I think it's helpful. The servants are to be laboring for the master with one eye towards heaven. Isn't that a good little phrase? Laboring for the master with one eye towards heaven. We're, it's like we're constantly thinking, well, he could be coming. We better be ready. But the idea is that they're laboring, working at the same time. But as soon as the master comes home, the door is opened. And that's why I called your attention to those two words. The door is opened at once. They are, they are prepared and ready. There's not like, oh, oh, we have a few more jobs to do before we can... Uh, let you in type of thing. Now, something is added in this image that is missing in the first two images. The first two images, like girding up your loins and lighting your lamps, those two things are just basically saying, be ready, be ready, be ready. Now, this one is saying, be ready, but it adds something, and it adds something beautiful. I stopped reading. Let's keep going. This is in verse number 37. Okay, after we've let the master in because we were ready, we were laboring, but keeping one eye towards heaven, great phrase, Blessed are those servants who the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, now here's what it adds, he will dress himself. Who will dress himself? Who's the he? The master, right? The master will dress himself for service and have them, who's the them? The servants recline at table and he, the master, will come and serve the servants, The blessing of, of waiting and expecting the master is that he will come and dress himself for service and as the master will ask the servants to sit down and serve them. That's the image that the, that the faithful, ready follower of Christ who is working for Jesus while also waiting for his return and when he's returned, he's been found ready because he's been faithful, he's been working now he gets the blessing of having Christ himself. I mean, think of John 13 when he washed the disciples' feet, dress himself for service, having us recline and serve them. Like The implication is that he's also be joining us in that meal for fellowship. This is very, very, very significant and pictures end-time blessing. In fact, look at verse number 38, another reminder. It says, whether he comes in the second watch or the third watch, the servants are ready. Now, why does he say that? Now, 
that there's some, there's some disagreement as to what this means, and let me explain. The Romans had a schedule, and the Jews had a schedule for the watches, right? The, the watches mean the, the overnight or the, or, the, or the working hours. The Romans divided it between 6 o'clock in the evening and 6 o'clock in the morning, and they divided those watches into four. So if you had the first watch, you had from 6 to 9 p.m. If you had the second watch, you had from 9 to midnight. If you had the third watch, you had from midnight to 3. If you had the fourth watch, you had from 3 to 6. The Jews did it a little differently. The Jews did it differently. The Jewish schedule was from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. split into three watches, where the second and third watch would be the very early morning hours. So either one, I mean, the disagreement as well, is you talking about Roman watches or Jewish watches? It really doesn't matter because either way, the watch, the second and the third watch is, is what? It's late night hours when you're usually doing what? Fast asleep. So what Jesus is saying here is he may come at a time which is typically sleep time when people would normally not be ready. So what he is encouraging here, again, is a constant, perpetual watchfulness. It doesn't mean never sleep. It doesn't mean never sleep. But it just means to constantly and always be ready. I haven't even explained what that meant yet, but we're seeing that. Image number four. Image number four is the thief who comes. And this is in verse number uh, 30, sorry about that, 39. He switches metaphors here and now goes to this. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, right, the thief doesn't text you and say, I'll be there about 4.45 a.m. The thief comes at an unknown hour, stealthy. He would not have left his house to be broken into. Again, this is another image of readiness. I began it kind of with the thing about if I had known the pipes would burst, I would not have gone to sleep. If you knew the robber was coming this morning, if some guy was casing your house and you, you were being robbed right now, even, as, even coming to church, you would have stayed home. You would have been prepared. And another aspect of being ready is added that the other three have lacked. Stay dressed, lights on, be ready. The third image about the master being gone at a wedding feast and coming back adds to, the, adds to the image the blessing of being ready is that the fellowship and service from the master. But this one adds kind of a negative, right? The thief is negative. Because if the thief comes and you're not ready, it's all negative. He exposes, he pilfers, he pillages, right? And those who weren't ready pay a price. There will be tragedy and loss, okay? That's why that first section was easy. The second section is hard. First section is easy. Do you all get it? Can you nod and get it? You get it? Be ready. Be ready. He gives these four images. Be ready. Be ready. He's just saying, be ready. Be ready. And Peter says, who are you talking to, Lord? Verse number 41, right? Who are you talking to? Is this for us? Right? Is this for, does he mean, is this for the 12? Is this for true followers of Christ? Is this for everybody? Should everybody be watching? Who is this for? And Jesus doesn't say, it's for you or it's for everybody. He tells a parable to answer the question. Now, Here's where I'm open to further discussion later, but I'm going to tell you through my study what I think this means. And this is the question of importance. Now, let's look at it real, real quickly here. Verse 41, Peter asks his question. Why are you telling all this, and who are you telling this to? The Lord said, who is the faithful and wise manager? Now, now as we're reading this again, do, do this for me while we're reading it. Try to categorize the different groups of people Jesus mentions, Okay? He mentions a different group of people. In fact, as we're doing it, I'll try to help us point out. 
Who then is the faithful and wise manager? There we have category number one, right? We have a faithful and wise servant, correct? Everybody there? Okay. I told you it's going to be work today. The master will set over his household and give him a portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over his possessions. Now, all of that down to verse number 44 is talking about one person, the person who is what? Starts with an R, all we've been talking about. He is what? He's ready. He's ready and he gets rewarded at the end for being ready. Now we're going to be introduced to a second group. This is, this is the second group I see. A servant, verse 45, if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, right? Doesn't think Jesus is coming back. And then he acts in a very bad way. Beats people, eats and drinks, gets drunk. Then the master will come and cut him into pieces. That's a second group. That's a servant who thinks Jesus is coming, but, but doesn't think he's coming back, and he's delayed, and so I'm going to live however I want. I see a third group in verse 47. The servant, so Jesus introduces another group, that servant who knew his master's will, right? Knew his master's will, but didn't get ready. Didn't get ready. So he wasn't overtly disobedient by beating and, and drinking and all the rest. He just didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he gets what? A severe beating, right? Everybody following along so far? I'll review in just a minute. Then we have a fourth group of a person who didn't know at all. See, he's not even called a servant, you notice that? He's not even called a servant. The others are called servants. Look back to it. Person number one is the faithful and wise manager. Person number two, the servant who is just says he's delayed. Person number three, the servant who knew his master's will. And then, real interestingly, servant is not mentioned for the fourth person in verse 48. It's just the one who didn't know. And he receives a light beating. This is tough. Okay. So here's four people. You have the wise and faithful guy, excellent, waiting, serving, master comes, rewarded, set over possessions, responsibilities, all the rest. Person number two, servant, who is just wantingly disobedient to the master because he thinks he's never going to come home, there's never going to be accountability, and he is cut into pieces, very severe, right? Anybody want to be cut? Very severe, cut into pieces. And actually, there's something else added. He will be placed with the unfaithful. Did you see that? Placed with the unfaithful. That's at the end of verse 46. Person number three, servant, knows the master's will, doesn't get ready. He receives a severe beating. Person number four, not a servant, just a one. I think that's significant. Just a one who doesn't know, doesn't know anything. Right? Doesn't know about the servant, doesn't know about the master, doesn't know why he's coming. And he receives what deserves a beating, gets a light beating. And then Jesus concludes it by saying, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Now, without getting too technical, can I explain to you what the two options are for our belief on what Jesus is saying? And you're probably, start, I hope you're starting to think along with me, Okay. Jesus is not really, well, he's answering Peter's question by saying, I think what he's saying is that this, this message of being ready for the master's coming is for everybody, is for every single person who has ever been born. And they're categorized into different groups, okay? I think servant number one, the wise and faithful manager, is the easiest one for us to understand, right? This is the Christian person, man or woman, who knows the master is coming back and is what? Starts with an R. 
ready and has been proving that all along by his or her faithful service, right? He's a faithful, wise manager. And when the Lord returns, that Christian will be honored and rewarded and given responsibilities in the kingdom and be set over, what does it say? Be set over the possessions of Christ. That's, that's an easy part. And that's the person we all need to aspire to be. The faithful, wise Christian waiting for the return. Now the disagreement comes with these other servants and the last one. Are these people Christians who are just not doing what the Master has said? And they're all going to be punished to different degrees? Or are, is the only person who is a true believer the one who is ready? That's where the disagreement comes. One person that I read believes that all of these other servants are believers and that when Christ comes, they are going to face this sort of punishment for not living up to the way that true followers of Christ should. I'm led to agree with that to this extent. If you look at verse number uh, where it says, the servant who is placed with the unfaithful, this is the one phrase that trips me up in the whole passage. And let me point it out to you. It says, this, this is talking about servant number two who just lives wildly. He's beating everybody up, not treating anybody with kindness, right? Drunkenness, just living wildly, thinking Christ will never come back. When the master comes on the unexpected day, this is verse 46, at an unexpected hour, he will cut him into pieces. And this is the phrase that gets me. Will put him with the unfaithful. No doubt that that person is a what? Unbeliever. No doubt. He's cut into pieces and put with the unfaithful. So that's why people believe that the other servants who are just kind of not doing what they should and get a severe beating or a light beating, that they're, they're going to really make it into the kingdom, but they're just going to receive some punishment first. And that phrase, put them with the unfaithful, is not mentioned of those other two. Okay, So for that reason, I buy into that argument, but do we honestly believe that Scripture teaches that right before we get into heaven, we're going to get a beating. And then, like, we're going to be sitting around the marriage feast going, ooh. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but you know what I mean? Sure wish I would have done better. Well, he only got a light beating. I mean, I think, this is, again, I think, I really, I believe this to be true. And again, if 10 years from now I study it further, I could be corrected. I think the reason it uses servant is just like the reason John 15 uses branch in me. Because from appearances, that person seems to be a servant, but is really not. And then there's the one who is not mentioned as a servant. That person is one who is totally, he does, maybe that is a person who's never even heard the name of Christ. But he still did what deserves a beating. Folks, what deserves a beating? Sin. So he did what deserves a beating, but he had no concept of it. No one ever came and told him. He will still receive a beating, but it will be a light beating compared to the servant who knew and did not obey, compared to the servant that knew 
and lived in complete disobedience, that guy gets hacked into pieces. The next guy gets a severe beating. The one who didn't know much reserves a light beating. I really think that what this is expressing is the varying degrees of punishment once people get into the eternal world. There is no punishment in the eternal world for believers. That punishment has been taken care of at Calvary, right? You could say amen to that one, right? There, that punishment is gone. Andy is not going to get to heaven and say, well, three years ago you did this, this, a whack, a whack, a whack. Okay, go on in. I mean, how foolish does that sound? Again, that phrase, with the unfaithful, trips me up a little bit. I, gotta, I wish I had another two days to think about that. And I can't explain that, just being honest. But, but I do think the beatings are expressing these people who felt like they were believers and did not live in the way that they should. Some went over the top. Total unkindness, unloving, indulgent. Some just were apathetic. Well, you know, well, I'm not doing what I should. And some didn't know. And that's why he says at the end, the more you get, the more that is entrusted to you. Information, I believe this is. Knowledge. See it in verse uh, who much was given. You have a lot of knowledge. You have Bibles all over your house. Yet you, you heard faithful preaching week after week. You knew all that was to come. You knew all that was required. And, and yet you still lived any way you want. The picture for you is cut into pieces. The person that just says, well, okay, Andy's kind of going nuts today, but uh, whatever. The well, Lord's going to come back, okay. And, and you, we, we're not prepared, thereby proving we didn't really know Christ. And I'm not talking about a Christian who sins from time to time. I'm talking about a person who is constantly apathetic about the Lord and really proving they don't know Christ. Severe beating. Person who doesn't know anything about it, light beating because they did what deserved a beating. I really think this is teaching us of the varying degrees that come in punishment. And the only one who doesn't get punished is the person who was faithful and wise and lived in a way, not perfection, not perfection because Andy's not perfect. None of us are. But living in a way that we are trying to demonstrate that we are ready. There is no punishment coming for those who truly are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. But the warning that Jesus is giving is that it is possible to be a, quote, servant, right? Man, I look out at everybody, servant, 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 servant. I'm thinking, everybody here has told me their testimony. Even th Tuesday night, we talked around the table. Everybody's sharing their testimony. Oh, they must be a Christian. From my perspective, they are. But maybe they're just a servant who is not true. This is the warning Christ is giving who is truly not ready, truly not living for Christ, and therefore is in danger of not living with God forever. Now, what is readiness? What is readiness? Because that's the key, right? This, we're almost done. That was, the, that was the main part. We got through the tough part. I really believe that's the right interpretation, um, and I'll study it more, but, but I think that's... that's what Christ would have us learn today is the warning of not being ready. So what does readiness look like? Let me just give you two things. Revelation 22, chapter, tw chapter 22, verse 20, talks about that. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He's coming to recompense. We read a little bit this morning. But if you want to read this afternoon for your own enjoyment, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, I think this is what constitutes readiness. It's always been one of my favorite passages. 20 years ago or so in Byron, Michigan, our Teens chose this passage for their theme verses, and so it's been special. Here's what it says in Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, already happened, right? The grace of God appeared when Christ came the first time, when he brought salvation for all people. 
teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. That's the, that's the idea of one eye toward heaven. The appearing of, our great, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all, unlaw, all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You know what readiness looks like? A godly life and joyful service. That's what I mean what it looks like. It looks like a godly life and joyful service. In fact, in Luke 12, I think we could say that the opposite, it's the opposite of what the unfaithful, unwise servant does. He is unkind to people. Faithful believers are kind and generous to others. He's self-indulgent. Faithful believers live holy lifestyles. He wasn't ready. He said, my master is delayed. Those who are true Christians are waiting for Jesus. 1 John 2.28 says, abide in him so you will not be ashamed when he comes. While we are waiting for that blessed hope, that is the Christian's blessed hope, that Christ is going to come and rescue us from our sin-stained bodies and unite us with him forever in heaven. And while we're waiting for that hope to be consummated, we live godly lives and we joyfully serve him. We don't live for ourselves in a greedy, covetous way. We seek him and his kingdom. And our lives are not characterized by the lives of these quote, servants who were not living for him. And therefore, when he comes, you know what he does? He dresses himself for service and he says, Andy, sit down. I'm going to serve you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Other option? Cut into pieces. Second Thessalonians, set apart from the glory of God, forever eternally separated, away from his presence, away from his hope, in complete and utter darkness. It's a pretty easy choice, yet our sin our sinfulness and our depravity just keeps us, keeps us from recognizing these things in our own lives. I hope that if you're not a believer today, that you will see that in your own life and be convicted. And if you are, you will recognize this need to be laboring for Christ with one eye towards heaven. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, we have been enriched today through the singing and through the study of your word, to hear from the mouth of Jesus today, these warnings are sobering. There's been a real, a real blessing to think about you yourself serving us just for doing our duty. How overwhelming that thought is to think of the blessing and honor that you will bestow upon us just for doing what you have asked when you yourself have sacrifice so much to make that possible, dying and suffering on the cross for our sins. Father, may this be a stern warning to anyone in here who is living a life like we've mentioned in the second half of this passage, kind of just indulging themselves and, oh, the master will never come. God, may they sense that warning that the danger is that when we have been given all of this information and we have much that much will be required, that the standard will be higher. May we respond to what we've heard today and be honest with ourselves as we thank you for all you've taught us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing from our songbook, if you have one, our final song. It kind of culminates and, and capsulizes all that we've been saying today. My Jesus, fair, 
He was pierced, he was scorned, he was torn, crushed. And then the last verse tells us he will come. And that's been our theme today. Remember whenever we sing this hymn, we sing two verses and then the chorus? Two verses and then the chorus. So be reminded of that as we stand to sing together. My Jesus fair. Two verses in the chorus, two verses in the chorus. Lift up and worship to